probably the the utility of the future is looking at the other things that go to people's homes like water and wastewater and i suspect that we're going to see more integration of those services with electric and gas services and so those are the kinds of things that i think are really interesting around 2050 not just a fixation on co2 but but thinking about what is the energy marketplace going to look like what's the <laughs> energy consumer going to have access to Welcome to the Flux Capacitor, a podcast about the future of electricity. I'm Francis Bradley of Electricity Canada. This is episode 057, number 57 of the Flux Capacitor. When I launched this podcast, I wanted to share with the listener the types of conversations that were already taking place within the electricity sector about the future of the business of electricity and what the future transformations will mean for electricity companies, regulators, society, and customers. These were the sorts of conversations I was often having on the margins of meetings and conferences with industry leaders, stakeholders, government representatives, regulators, and industry partners. I wanted the listener to hear what we've been discussing over coffee, during a taxi ride, over dinner, or stuck in an airport departure lounge. Once again, this podcast was not recorded face-to-face, but using Zoom. On to today's podcast and today's guest. Timothy Egan, I'm President and CEO of the Canadian Gas Association. Way back on episode six of the podcast, Tim joined me as a co-host as we recorded a discussion with a couple of provincial regulators at the annual meeting of CAMPUT, the Association of Energy Regulators, three years ago. Tim drops in virtually today to chat about natural gas and Canada's net zero 2050 commitments. We also discuss technologies, innovation, the future of energy service companies, and what the energy marketplace may look like beyond 2050. We close our conversation with Tim's on-point recommendation for an addition to the Flux Capacitor Book Club. Here is my conversation with Timothy Egan, recorded in mid-March 2022. Tim, we talked about this, I don't know, probably close to three years ago when you and I co-hosted one of the earlier podcasts on regulatory. Uh, We said, hey, we should, we have enough to talk about, we should, we should do a podcast. So I really appreciate you taking the time to to jump on and talk on uh, the flux capacitor about some uh, electricity and natural gas issues. Well, thanks for the opportunity, Francis. It's always a pleasure. And uh, uh, we we go way back uh, working on energy issues yeah. together. So it's great to have a chance to to talk to you about, about where things are, because they're certainly in an interesting place right now. Yeah, they sure are. Uh, yeah, we do go way back. But um, maybe the, the, the quick 30 second for the, the listener who uh, may be familiar with the electricity side, Canadian Gas Association, uh, what's it all about? Uh, who does it represent? Uh, where does it come from? Sure. So uh, like the Electricity Association, uh, the Gas Association has as its core membership utilities. Uh, In our case, it's gas distribution utilities. That's natural gas. And uh, our utilities are active in eight provinces across Canada. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, The two where we don't have gas distribution uh, are Newfoundland and PEI, but the other eight provinces all have gas distribution systems. 
and the, the companies doing that distribution are our core membership. We also have transmission companies. Mm -hmm. So the bigger pipes, uh, moving gas to the smaller pipes. And then we have uh, service companies, uh, suppliers, manufacturers, and other service companies as part of our, our membership. We do not represent the upstream of the natural gas industry, so the producers, right. although we work very closely with them uh, on a whole host of projects. Okay. Uh, and those utilities that, that make up our core membership are the, the gas delivery industry, as we call it, uh, represent uh, the interests of about seven and a half million customers, mm -hmm. uh, reaching about 25 million Canadians. Right. Uh, and uh, not nearly as many customers as you have on the electric side, of course, because there's electricity in, in every home or <laughs> virtually every home. Yep. There isn't natural gas in virtually every home. Uh, there's gas wherever there is a gas distribution system. Uh, but nonetheless, in terms of end use of energy in the country, we're actually significantly higher than electricity. We represent about 38% of energy end use in the okay, country. Okay, so hang on. How, how is that? Again, for the listener, if, uh, if only uh, you know, a, a, a much smaller number of households actually have natural gas service, uh, how can the end use be so much higher than electricity that is in virtually every household? So if we were to talk just in terms of BTUs, right? British thermal units or, or some yep. other uh, universal measure of, of energy. Yep. For every 100 units of energy consumed in Canada, 38 of them are, are natural gas. Okay. And uh, a significant portion of that is industrial use. Mm. So think of industrial heat for large industrial facilities, um, a steel manufacturing facility, for instance. Okay. Uh, it's going to be using a lot of natural gas. The advantage that natural gas offers is uh, the amount of heat that can be generated. Okay. And it uh, takes a lot of energy to generate heat. And mm -hmm. it's easier to do that with natural gas than it is with electricity. So mm -hmm. um, that's why it's, uh, uh, you know, as, as some have said, right fuel, right place, right time. You think of different, different applications for different technologies, for different end uses of energy. Natural gas has a particular application for heat. Right. And uh, so there's a large industrial load, as I mentioned. There's also a large commercial load for, uh, for heating of buildings. And then, of course, there's residential load. And uh, those uh, seven and a half million customers, roughly seven million of those are residences. And those residences are, are heating with natural gas. Gotcha. Yeah. Heating with natural gas, cooking with natural gas, hot water, natural gas. That's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the heat's the biggest uh, draw, but, uh, but there are other applications of that heat. And as, mm -hmm. as you know, so uh, your dryer may be natural gas. You may have a natural mm -hmm. gas fireplace. Mm -hmm. uh, you may have a cooktop, a barbecue, your water heater. So uh, uh, your, your pool, right? Mm -hmm. you know, uh, uh, there are a variety of different applications. Yeah. So, so what, what, I, what I'd like to, to go to in the conversation is to, to 2050. But before that, uh, Tim, I, I always uh, ask people now coming on the podcast about their journey uh, and interested to hear about your, uh, your journey. The joke I always make is, Tim, when you were a young lad in the schoolyard, uh, did you always dream uh, of be, be, being president and CEO of, a, of an energy association? How did you, how did you come to be president and CEO of a gas association? Well, Francis, through electricity. Um, <laughs> Actually, uh, yes, I know that. But <laughs> so, so wait a second, I, uh, let's go back before that. You, you studied law. What are you doing uh, in, in the gas association? Didn't you study law? 
I did study law. Actually, I've got an undergraduate degree in, in history and philosophy, and then I went to law school. I went to McGill, uh, and uh, I did common and civil law degrees at McGill, and I was called to the bar in Ontario, and I had a had a position with a firm, but I decided I didn't want to practice law. I was more interested in public policy issues. And actually, mm -hmm. I was particularly interested in environmental issues. And okay. uh, so I set up my own public policy shop and started uh, doing work, uh, writing and researching on public policy issues around the environment. That uh, led to some work uh, with an organization called the Canadian Electricity Association. And yep. uh, they were a longtime client of mine, uh, as were some of their members, and then a variety of other energy companies and natural resource companies and so on. And I, I ran that, that uh, business full time for uh, about 15 years. Uh, and the Gas Association was a client as well. And about 12 years ago, their then president, uh, who you and I both know well, Mike Cleland, uh, yep. was retiring. And, uh, and I was asked if I would uh, apply for the position that I did, and I was lucky enough to get it. So I've been at CJ ever since for the last 12 years. And um, so that's my, uh, that's my journey. Uh, I, uh, I live in Toronto. I, I mentioned I went to uh, law school at McGill, Montreal. That's where I met my wife. And then I uh, followed her here to Toronto. And, uh, and we've been here for almost, uh, for almost 30 years. Mm. Uh, but the, um, the gas industry, I, uh, as I said, I, I had the association as a as a client before. Uh, needless to say, uh, you know, coming into a job like this, just as as you and yours, I assume, uh, is 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 the best way to learn a lot more about an industry. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And uh, I've I've learned and continue to learn a tremendous amount uh, about an industry that is uh, that has really been a critical part of Canada's history. Um, our, we were distributing gas in Canada before Confederation. Hmm. Uh, there was gas distribution in several cities like Montreal and, mm -hmm. uh, and Halifax and Toronto uh, well before Confederation. At the time, it was what was called town gas, and it was yep. usually generated from coal. Yep. Uh, and it was used principally for street lighting. Yes. Uh, and then other applications developed out of that heating and so on. And over time, we moved to the use of natural gas, which, as you know, Francis, for a long time was a product that that was considered a, 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 almost a, an unusable byproduct of the production of oil. Right? And they flared and, off. Yeah. And they, they more often off. than not, they yeah. flared it off. Yeah. And yeah. unfortunately, in many parts of the world, uh, gas is still being flared uh, mm. an incredible degree, in fact, uh, until we can find ways to you know, uh, get distribution systems hooked up so that we can recover that gas because the value was discovered in the product. And uh, over time, uh, natural gas, underground natural gas started to replace uh, town gas, coal, uh, coal generated gas. And, and now it is, it is the, uh, the principal source of, of natural gas in Canada. But of course, the fuel source, um, the, 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 the core molecule is methane, right? Mm -hmm. Which is CH4. And it can come from a variety of sources. So Conventional gas, as we call it, is is what's usually found associated with oil underground. Yep. Uh, unconventional gases are increasingly a source of fuel, and that's that's gas that's buried in deep shale rock formations. And technology has advanced to the point where we can recover that. So it's usually but, referred to as fracking. Is that you, that, that would fall into that the, category? That's right. Fracking is yep. the technology you use to discover uh, to uh, to recover that gas. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it's actually a combination of, of fracking, which is a which is a you know short term for fracturing, because what mm -hmm. you're doing is you're is you're applying pressure to 
to the rock deep underground in order to open it and allow the gas to come out. But it's it, fracking's actually been around for a very long time. We've only started talking about it for the last 10 years or so. It's been around for a very long time. We've been using it um, in a variety of underground applications for, well, 70 years, roughly. Uh, the real innovation was combining frac uh, hydraulic fracturing with lateral drilling. Mm. So, uh, which means you're going straight down with a conventional drilling pipe, and then you're going uh, uh, on the perpendicular to that to that conventional pipe, right? right? Yeah. And so that allows you, if you could sort of think of looking at it from above to create a kind of hub and spoke, hmm. um, where you go straight down with one pipe and then you can go off with a whole series of pipes and you can recover an enormous amount of gas by doing that with very little um, uh, environmental footprint uh, at the extraction point. Hmm. So that's what the that's what the the technology has allowed for. But what I was going to say was that increasingly we're also finding ways to use other sources uh, of methane. One of which is municipal solid waste. So, okay. uh, uh, you know, dump sites in, mm -hmm. in cities across Canada uh, where there's organic matter uh, that is uh, decomposing that produces methane, hmm. and we developed the technology to recover that methane. And we're putting it into gas systems. Francis, I know you're in the in the province of Quebec, and Quebec has a very significant renewable natural gas uh, 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 yep. pro program underway. You can also recover gas from uh, decomposing uh, agricultural waste or wood waste, both mm -hmm. of which we have we have enormous quantities of in, in mm. Canada, and that's increasingly another source of natural gas. So, so. Um, and, and these are, as I say, renewable natural gases versus those that we're drawing from underground, which are obviously not renewable. Um, and then because we are about moving gases, we don't only have to be about moving methane. And so increasingly we're talking about the opportunities with hydrogen. Okay. So hydrogen's uh, a simpler molecule, it's H2. Uh, so there's no carbon atom in the molecule. And hydrogen can be produced from a number of sources. It's the most abundant uh, element in the universe mm -hmm. and uh, uh, offers enormous potential as, a, as a, a source of energy. And we're increasingly looking at how we move hydrogen through our gas system, either uh, in the first applications by blending it in small quantities, right. but ultimately moving more and more of it uh, uh, as, a, uh, as, a, as a source of energy within, uh, within energy distribution. So maybe that's a, that's a, a, a point at which we can turn our focus to, to 2050. Uh, and uh, there's lots of, um, you know, lots of commitments have been made by governments all around the world, but the government of Canada has, has committed to a, a, a net zero economy by 2050. So how does, uh, how does that fit for uh, the plans of, uh, of the, the, gas, uh, the gas association? Uh, the gas, uh, natural gas system in Canada, does it simply mean that the whole system just switches over to hydrogen on, on the 1st of January 2050? <laughs> <laughs> Obviously not. So, yeah. But what does that transition look like? And I, Actually, I'm, I'm interested in both the transition and what do you think um, the end state is going to be, Tim? Yeah, well, uh, I'll say a couple of things off, off the start. First of all, yeah, as you say, what does that transition look like? And we, as you know well, there's the the idea of an energy transition is sort of a, uh, a dominant subject in any energy conversation we have these yep. days. Everybody talks about the energy transition. 
but it's it's as if to suggest that we've been in this sort of static state for a long time and now we're now we're changing and i i so i prefer not to use the term because i think energy systems are constantly changing um hmm. but they're constantly changing very incrementally because as you know on the electric side francis it's the same thing yeah put a lot of infrastructure in place in order to deliver energy to people for the use in their homes and businesses and that infrastructure is capital intense Mm-hmm. And so we want it to have a long life, right? So when you're making changes to your energy system, you can't just make them overnight. You can't make them quickly yep. because our infrastructure yep. is put in place with an eye to having a 30, a 40, a 50 year lifespan, right? I think of, of some hydrogems in Canada, uh, which are at the century mark, right? I mean, And, and beyond, yeah, absolutely. And, yep. and beyond it. And, and so... Yep. Yeah, and, and that's a good thing because that's delivering more value per yep. unit of, of, of investment to, yep. to the end user. And so when I talk about it, I, I'm cautious when I talk about an energy transition because people seem to think that, okay, boom, things are going to change dramatically. Yeah. Yeah. They're not. Yeah. They're going to change gradually. So when people talk about net zero by 2050, um, again, I'm I'm cautious because I fear that people don't appreciate the scope and scale of what's being proposed here. 2050 mm-hmm. is only 30 years away, not even. It's 28 years away. Yep. And um, if the 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 customary turnover for for uh, capital infrastructure is 40 years, then you're saying you're going to flip over a lot of your capital infrastructure in less than the usual lifespan uh, of 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 that infrastructure. And I think that. Um, it is a bit naive to think that that's easily done. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, that's not to say, or or, that, or cheaply done either. Or I cheaply mean, done, yeah. yeah. In fact, because I, you know, the, there are three things that matter to people. I think uh, in their day to day lives, as they think about energy, one is is it affordable? Mm-hmm. Two is is it reliable? And three is is it meeting the environmental objectives that I have? Do I feel good about it? Is it clean? Is it, you know, is it, is it uh, 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 environmentally sustainable? And I actually think they, they think about those in that order. And I think in the, in the current moment, as we see energy prices going really high, really fast, it's, it's become really clear that that is the, the priority for most people. And by most people, I mean, consumers who yeah. are going out filling their, their gas tanks of, the, of their automobiles or, or their, you know, their uh, their propane tanks at their properties in rural Quebec, or their, or you know, paying their uh, electric bills or their or their natural gas bills. It's increasingly difficult. So that's that needs to inform all of this. But but, but you started by asking about about 2050 and where's the gas industry on that. If you if you look uh, at the websites of uh, any of my member companies, you will see very uh, detailed plans on on mm-hmm. how they intend to significantly reduce their emissions uh, in order to uh, work with government on the 2050 targets that have been set by the government of Canada. Um, that Our assessment is that there are a variety of pathways using the gas system that can dramatically reduce emissions. So I talked uh, about renewable natural gas. That's yep. one. Um, I talked about hydrogen. That's another one. There are different kinds of hydrogen, uh, as you know, uh, based on how it's produced. It can be yep. produced from electrolysis. Uh, so we could take 
wind and solar power, for instance, uh, that is uh, onto the system when maybe it isn't needed, and we can use that to yep. drive electrolysis and break yep. down water and produce hydrogen. Yep. It's a costly way to do it, but it's it's a technology that works. Yep. We can also um, uh, produce hydrogen by more conventional means directly from natural gas. Uh, and uh, both of them uh, give you an end result, which is uh, lower emissions uh, at mm -hmm. the end of the so those are a couple paths that the gas system can use, but there are other pathways as well. Um, uh, one is um, uh, end of pipe recovery technologies. So we're doing a ton of work. We set up a natural gas innovation fund and through it, uh, we're doing a ton of work with new technologies, including uh, the use of screens and other mechanisms at the end of pipe that could capture the CO2. Okay. Uh, and in some instances will, uh, will uh, see that CO2 used in different products like the manufacture of soaps, or it may be collected and stored. So we're doing work on carbon capture and utilization and storage technologies. Okay, so, so that's, that's what you're talking about here. You're, talk, you're talking about post-combustion carbon capture? Correct, correct. Yeah, okay. And, yeah. and there's, a, there's a great deal of work going on there. Uh, so that's another pathway. Uh, in addition, of course, just the more efficient use of, of the energy that we have, right? So yeah. energy efficiency is a big is a big priority for our utilities like it is for yours. And uh, the efficiency programs that we have in place have delivered one of the biggest emission reduction uh, uh, opportunities in Canada uh, in, um, uh, in the advance of furnace technology. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. you know, we've gone from conventional gas furnaces that were at 50, 60% efficiency to being, you know, 90, 95% efficiency. Right. Now we're doing a lot of work on heat pumps uh, and uh, 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 gas-powered heat pumps uh, that will deliver efficiency well over 100%. So I think the technology opportunities are really significant. Uh, and if you, if you say, okay, is there any one single pathway to get to net zero with the gas system? The answer is no, there are a variety of pathways and it's going to depend on the particular circumstances in the jurisdiction, you know, what resources the each province has at its disposal uh, <laughs> in order to, to deliver on that. But the biggest thing for me on the 2050 conversation is to make sure it's grounded in reality about <laughs> how much is this going to cost? <laughs> how realistic is it to put the infrastructure in place in the time frame discussed? Uh, and are we going to be able to guarantee the reliable delivery of energy to consumers mm -hmm. uh, on the paths we've chosen. And we have to think about all three of those at all times. So you were talking about um, th 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 there's, there's pathways and technologies that are going to significantly reduce emissions. Um, and so uh, are there pathways that uh, bring us to, to net zero? And, and I think it's, again, I always, I would like to, to emphasize this with people. We're talking about net zero, not zero, because, you know, as, as, as Tim, as you know, and everybody in this space knows, there's, there's something that people refer to as hard to abate sectors. Uh, there are some sectors, but like air transportation, for example, that we're not going to be doing that on, on, on batteries, um, you know, just as an example. But um, what are the, the pathways that are not simply uh, significantly reducing emissions, but getting us to net zero? Are those ones that are going to have to have uh, carbon capture? Is direct air capture part of the future as well? Are those the sorts of technologies that, that that'll be required for us to, to, to be able to reach a, a net zero 2050 world? 
You know, I had a conversation with one of my uh, CEOs uh, earlier today uh, before our call, and uh, as he as he noted, uh, there are technologies that will get us to net zero that we don't know about yet. Yeah. No. Um, absolutely. Yeah. And and uh, it's part of the reason why we made innovation such a such a focal point for our work at the CGA with with the creation of the natural gas innovation fund I mentioned because we want to be sending a signal to you know researchers universities across the country and entrepreneurs and others that hey we're open to ideas for new technologies. Hmm. My utilities have uh, uh, a variety of of plans in place that show how in the unique circumstances of their own jurisdiction um, they're delivering on a net zero agenda, and uh, you know they're they're firmly committed to pursuing this. This is a this is a policy framework. It's a, it's now a, a legislative policy framework mm. that the government of Canada has put in place. And so you know these companies are good corporate citizens. They're going to do their best to comply. I think though that we again just have to take a deep breath and say at what cost? At what cost? At what cost? And I look at the situation in the world today and I look what's happening on energy prices. And I think all of the enthusiasm is going to be tempered somewhat by uh, uh, the reality, by the economic realities we face. Everybody wants to continue to drive down emissions, Mm. but everybody needs affordable energy. And uh, if you don't have affordable energy, you know, you can't live in our society. Energy has been the great enabler for everything that we do. Uh, and we're privileged to have so much affordable energy in our country, uh, yeah. affordable electricity, uh, affordable natural gas, affordable gasoline, by comparison, so many other places in the world. And um, I think if that affordability is really threatened, then our, our livelihood is really threatened. And mm. I think we have, to, we have to be constantly bringing that into the net zero conversation. So does that mean that at some point in the future, we're going to we're going to have to make decisions of, of trading off, not meeting our GHG emission goals necessarily because of uh, concerns about affordability? I think uh, society is constantly about trade-offs. Uh, hmm. And I think we're going to face a variety of trade-offs. I think we're kind of facing one right now uh, on the affordability point. I mean, I note that... Uh, uh, you know, very interesting things happening with the with the uh, the horrible situation in 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 Ukraine right now, yeah, and the yeah. sudden discussion by uh, by Western countries to uh, to look at ways to get more energy to Europe uh, than we had before, and suddenly mm. the Canadian government is talking about the opportunity to export Canadian natural gas to help Europe. Mm. Um, well, that will actually change Canada's emissions portfolio. Uh, mm-hmm. portfolio. Uh, that's a trade-off, but it's a trade-off because other circumstances have have meant that there are different priorities. And so I I think that it's a constant conversation about trade-offs. So uh, you asked me, does it mean there will be trade-offs about meeting your 2050 targets? I think there will be. Yeah. Uh, and and I think uh, you know, a mature society recognizes that and is constantly working to manage through those trade-offs. Right. So uh, in 2050, Tim, you'll be old. 90 somewhere around there um our uh when 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 you and i uh encounter each other uh in our wheelchairs or walkers in the in the residence uh in in 2050 uh are are we going to be living in a net zero uh canada do you think so i don't know um as you said the key word there is net yeah yeah it is and uh you know, I think the uh, the whole focus of the net zero conversation right now seems to be in the oil and gas industry. Yeah. 
uh, and, you know, frankly, we're in the, in the crosshairs. But if you really think about net zero, then you should be talking about every aspect of society. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that means that you're looking at every opportunity to sequester emissions. You're looking at, at everything that's generating emissions. Um, I don't pretend to, ha- to, to know where things are going to be at that point. Uh, but I think we're, we're still a little drunk with the enthusiasm of the idea of a target. Mm. And I look, Francis, at the 2030 target, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the 2030 target for Canada was uh, an emission reduction of 30%, if, I'm, if I get this right, 30% below 2005 emission levels. Initially, uh, yeah. By 2030, right? Yep, yep. And uh, if my numbers are right, we've achieved about a 2% reduction uh, towards that target. So in other words, mm-hmm. two of the 30 or one 15th of the way we, uh, of, of, of what we need to do. So we've gone between 2005 and 2022, uh, which is a total of 17 years. And we've delivered one 15th of what we need to deliver. We have eight more years to get the rest. Well, at the same time, get that? at the same time, the commitment has been increased from a 30% reduction to a 40 to 45%. And then the prime minister increased the commitment to 40 to 45. So I think that the, the converse, that the making commitments to targets is, um, is something politicians of all stripes like to do. Mm. Uh, I think the reality is that uh, it's a lot harder to achieve them than it is to set them. And we haven't achieved a single target. Uh, that we've set. It's not to say that there isn't merit in, you know, setting targets and 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 encouraging people to be creative and innovative to find ways to achieve them. But yeah. but I don't think it's any great failure not to meet them either. Um, otherwise, we're we're just desperate failures. And look, I think our societies continue to improve. Mm. It's continued to adapt. We've continued to to have better and better environmental performance. And um, and and that should be that should be our measure, not not whether we're actually achieving some arbitrary target. Mm. So, Tim, some of some of your members are also members of Electricity Canada. So there's there's companies out there that are in both the uh, the natural gas business and in the electricity business. Um, do, do you think that's going to increase uh, as we go along in terms of are we going to see more integration of um, energy services uh, to, to the end customer or, um, you know, is, is it, uh, it going to go the, the, the opposite direction? Uh, you know, we're going to see more and more people that are in the electricity and natural gas and potentially energy solutions uh, as we move forward. Yeah. So um, on the gas side, you know, we've seen uh, a lot of uh, uh, a lot of commercial activity that is that has dramatically changed the profile of our sector over the last 15, 20 years. Because yeah. um, uh, the vast majority of companies in the natural gas space are publicly traded enterprises. Okay. And so what kind and, of changes do you mean that you've seen? Well, so for instance, the two largest uh, gas delivery companies in Canada uh, five years ago were Union Gas and Enbridge Gas Distribution. Oh, okay. So consolidation. Okay. Right, right. So, yeah. so those two have have merged. You've seen Canadian companies buying up U.S. assets over the last ten years at, a, at an, an incredible pace. And so, you know, a variety of Canadian companies are amongst the biggest utility enterprises in North America now. 
Mm. Um, I think of Emera, well, right? You know, big company in the East Coast yep. that has yep. a member company of yours. Yep. Uh, I think of Fortis Inc., which has uh, companies in both of our associations yes. uh, and has an already integrated gas and electric company in the West Coast. It's a member of both of our associations. Yep. Um, I think of the ACO group of companies mm -hmm. and the assets they have uh, around the world. Again, uh, a company with, with a, a member in your association and in mine. And I think of the big pipeline companies like Enbridge and, and TC Energy and the and uh, their uh, their continued growth across North America, you're seeing steady change. And I think that's what happens in, in any mature industry. There, mm. There's always that kind of change. So the why are they, but why are they growing outside of Canada? Well, so I was, I was about to say that the gas okay. electric combination is a little different. Yeah. And it's different in the Canadian marketplace because so much of the electricity sector is crown owned, right? So I would say to your question, why is this happening more south of the border than north of the border? It's because there aren't that many assets to pick okay. up. North of the border. That's where the opportunities are. Yeah. 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 And and uh, so and, and now, you know, beyond the United States, because because after some years of, uh, you know, economic hardship in the U.S., the U.S. economy grew significantly over the last five, six mm -hmm. years, fewer opportunities there. These companies are now looking around the world. Yes. Right. They're looking at asset acquisition opportunities around the world. Now, um, in Canada, the, the biggest single opportunity would be crown assets mm -hmm. if they were ever on the block. Uh, so I'd say the biggest barrier to gas electric integration in Canada is the fact that so many electric entities are crown owned. Mm -hmm. I think if they weren't crown owned, you'd see a lot more integration of gas electric in Canada. And as you know, Francis, there is a lot more integration of the two in the U.S. There are many mm -hmm. more. Yep. Yep. combined utilities in the US and there are in Canada. And I think um, there's, a, there's a logic to the integration uh, because there's a kind of efficiency for the customer if you have both gas and electric, because you can be, remember, we're talking about two different delivery systems for right. energy. Yeah. And there are times when one system may be better than the other or vice versa. And so if you've got both, you can be, you can be driving efficiencies for the end user. And I think that's probably why that, that consolidation has occurred in the US uh, the way it has. But in Canada, you know, unless there's a grand plan to sell uh, some of the big uh, crown assets, and I don't know that that's the case, and I don't know if you do, um, but short of that, I, it's, it's tough to see much more integration on the Canadian side. Yeah. And here's, here's a, a, another sort of speculative question. If we you know, project out beyond 2050, and, and you know, what, what, is it, what does that future, long-term future look like? Where does, where does hydrogen fit for the, the end customer? Are we ever going to see a hydrogen distribution system to end customers? So I think that you may well see uh, 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 gas distribution systems in place that are, in effect, hydrogen systems. Um, okay, how so? Well, if you're moving, if you're moving uh, hydrogen to the end user, you're probably moving it through a pipe. Okay. Right. So uh, if someone's got a pipe in the ground, hello, we do. Um, we're mm. probably the ones who are going to move the hydrogen. Now, there are there are technical constraints to moving 100 percent hydrogen through a system. Right. There are uh, there are uh, system uh, safety and, and reliability issues. But there's a, an enormous amount of research going on about about adjusting the quality of the pipe, the quality of the joints and so on in order to allow the movement of hydrogen. So, OK, gotcha. So I think that that if there is a hydrogen delivery system, it's probably a piped system. Yeah. 
Uh, and uh, who's got pipes now? Gas utilities. So, hmm. you, you know, there's an opportunity there. But I mean, I don't need to tell you this. There's also an enormous hydrogen opportunity in the electric side, right? Yep. Um, yep. Uh, uh, and, and that's why I think at one level, and I think this is healthy, uh, it's not so much the gas and electricity compete, but gas delivery systems and electric delivery systems compete. Mm. And oh, you mean that, just that it's the, it's at the delivery system, that it, the competition. it's about the delivery of energy and, mm. and which is, you know, which delivery system is offering the the better offering for the consumer. And I, I like the idea of there being competition between the two. I'd mm. say, in fact, there's also a third delivery system, which is of a liquid delivery system. Um, and of course it tends not to be regulated. Mm. Uh, so, you know, when I think of innovation in energy delivery, I think that's where it gets really, really interesting. And, and that's the 2050 conversation I'm interested in because Francis, what if we find a way, like it's battery technology, mm. if, if, if we develop really uh, super efficient, compact batteries, mm -hmm. right? Um, what's the future of an electric utility? Because the whole point of electric delivery system, like the whole point of gas delivery system is, well, you need to put infrastructure in the ground. You're not gonna put, offer people a choice of wires. Right. There's gonna be one wire. Yeah. And so it's gonna be regulated because it's a monopoly. Well, what if technology allows us to move beyond monopolies? So really advanced batteries might actually do that. Similarly, what if we had a mean, the means to um, actually deliver natural gas the way we deliver propane mm -hmm. in a tank, right? I mean, right now you can't, cause you can't really, uh, you can't compress enough gas. And at this point you don't have liquid natural gas um, that's economic and scalable to the, to the small that, size. To that size, yeah. Right, but what if you did? Yeah. I mean, if you did, then all of a sudden, the 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 future of energy delivery uh, may not be a utility future, mm. um, or uh, probably the the utility of the future is um, looking at the other things that go to people's homes, like water and wastewater. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, I suspect that we're going to see more integration of, of those services with electric and gas services. Uh, right. And, uh, and so those are the kinds of things that I think are really interesting around 2050, not just sort of a, not just a fixation on CO2, but, but thinking about um, what is the energy marketplace going to look like? What's the <laughs> energy consumer uh, going to have access to? Uh, and then how's, how's industry going to, going to adjust accordingly? And I, yeah. that, that's where it gets really interesting in my mind. Yeah. Yeah, and it and it it opens up a whole range of of different uh, applications as well. At the Globe Conference two years ago, they they had on display uh, one of those Toyota. What's the name of the model there? Mirai. The, oh, okay. Uh, the, one of the uh, the Toyota Electric. No, no, the uh, the hydrogen. Um, oh, right, right, yeah. Hydrogen, the hydrogen fuel cell car. Yeah. which which of course um, you know completely solves if we had the infrastructure uh, if we had you know a national infrastructure for hydrogen it, it, it solves all of the issues with respect to range anxiety um, certainly and it, it sure is an interesting technology but uh, we're we're uh, we're not there yet <laughs> we're not there yet but uh, that is that's a very interesting technology when looking uh, further out and looking out uh, you know uh, beyond the horizon 
Yeah, it is. I think it's very cool. Um, I think that any technology cycle, and this has been something I've been learning a lot about just through our through our innovation work. You know, any ch- technology cycle is is really generations mm-hmm. in, in in moving from idea to widespread application for the yep. consumer, right? And so I think we need to keep on bringing these ideas forward, but we need to be realistic about, about what's involved in actually getting the consumer. And, and it takes that long because there's an enormous amount of investment that has to be made. Yep. Then people want to realize a return on that investment. That's right. right. Yeah. And, yep. and, and no amount of, of government planning is going to speed that up. Mm-hmm. Uh, because uh, what you want to be relying on is the ingenuity uh, the the uh, entrepreneurial spirit of as many actors as possible uh, in order to uh, you know deliver change and I think when change is directed from above you just don't get that yeah yeah and uh, so you know I think yeah like Toyota puts that product up and what happens well you know six or seven other auto companies around the world look at that and say hey we should do one of those how do we do that mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And that's mm-hmm. a good thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and and that's that's what we want to be encouraging more and more of. Yeah, Tim, um, you've you've been very generous with your time, but I can't let you go without asking you about a book. Uh, and I, I know we talked about books um, when you co-hosted with me a couple of years back, but. Um, so we've kind of formalized this now. We've, we've got the Flux Capacitor Book Club. And every time I, I, I have somebody on the podcast now, I ask them to add a, a, book, to our, uh, a book to our list. So uh, what book, Tim, uh, that either you've, you're reading or you've read recently, would you recommend uh, for the listener and for us to add to our, uh, to our reading list? Well, Francis, while I would like to think that you have a listening audience millions um, I suspect that your listening audience is is of a smaller number, but a number that's that's fairly geeky on energy stuff. So they just might be a little bit on the geeky side. Yeah. 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 So so the book I have is one that many of them may have read. Um, I'm in the midst of it right now. It's um, by Vaclav Schmil, um, and it's Energy and Civilization: A History. And uh, you know, it's it's actually. It's, it's really interesting in the context of the conversation we're having right now. I don't know if you know anything about Vaclav Schmil, but, but he's a professor in Manitoba. Um, he's produced just dozens of energy books. You're looking, you probably got some. I'm, I'm just, yeah, I'm, I'm uh, yeah, the, the, the listener can't, can't see this, but I'm just turning my back to try and point to it because I'm pretty sure it's on one of the shelves here. But yeah, carry on. Yeah, so, so um I, I read a couple of his of his uh, shorter works, but this is the first sort of well, gosh, encyclopedia of his yeah, yeah. that I've tried to go through, and I'm about a quarter of the way through, and it's just fascinating, and it just talks about how energy has been absolutely central to civilization mm-hmm. and and to our progress and 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 to our continued progress, and and I think it's actually a great read in the context of the 2050 conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, because he points to, you know, what we have achieved and how energy has been instrumental to that. I think one of the dangers of the 2050 conversation is that energy has come to be seen as a bad word, right? Yeah. And the fact yeah. that we consume energy has come to be seen as a, as a bad thing, when in fact, access to abundant energy has been the most enabling thing for, for yeah. humanity, yeah. right? I mean, nothing has delivered more freedom and opportunity than the ready access 
to affordable energy, to, you know, to do everything, to, to enable us to do everything we do. I was reading a piece today by Mark Mills. I don't know if you know him. He's a Canadian. Um, uh, he's with the Manhattan Institute in the States, and he's actually with a, a big technology fund as well. And, and, you know, he was talking about the fact that, that the cloud is an enormous consumer of energy. Right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A modern hospital is a massive consumer of energy. And these are good things. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So we have yep. to constantly think about how we're going to enable more people to use more energy. And we have to stop thinking that that's bad. Now, mm -hmm. let's always be more efficient. Let's find ways to, to, to use it better mm -hmm. um, because that, that, uh, you know, that, that delivers all kinds of other benefits, the biggest of which I think is a cost saving. But, um, but you know, let's, let's stop having energy is a bad word. All right, so um, Vaclav Schmil's Energy and Civilization History. You know, it's, it's, it's actually surprising. I think we're up to episode 57 now of the podcast. And this is the first uh, recommendation for one of his books. It's long overdue for putting one of his books onto, uh, onto our uh, flux capacitor reading list. Tim, well, thanks very I'm, much. I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to be the one recommending him. But no, thank you, Francis. This was, this was fun. Um, I think this is, uh, this is a great initiative. And I, I appreciate you taking, uh, uh, taking me onto your uh, interview list. And, uh, and I enjoyed it. Thanks for joining me for this episode of The Flux Capacitor. The website of this podcast can be found at thefluxcapacitor.ca. And while you're there, check out the book club page, which provides information and links to the books which have been recommended by the guests on the Flux Capacitor. Please tune in for future episodes of the podcast, which will include conversations recorded in person at the Globe Forum 2022 conference in Vancouver. And let's continue the electricity conversation on our Facebook page, on Twitter, and at electricity.ca.